Welcome to Almost Here, Around the Corner of Future Technology podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies poised to transform our lives for better or worse are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used. We're just around the corner from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Future Tech Podcast. Uh, my guests are Olav and Mohammed. Actually, it's Abdul Basit Mohammed, a senior advisor, and Olav Musfold, a project manager at a company called Avinor, A-V-I-N-O-R dot N-O. So, uh, Olav and Mohammed, how are you guys doing? Oh, doing pretty good. How are you? Thank you. Good. Yeah, thanks for coming. So, tell me about uh, Avinor. It looks like you guys do multiple things. So, what's the uh, what's the idea behind the company? What are you guys working on? Yeah, well, Avinor is the main airport operator in uh, Norway. We operate 45 airports and uh, mm-hmm. we also do uh, air navigation service providing and air traffic management. Yeah, I haven't flown to Norway. That's why I don't know the name. But uh, now if I do, I'll know when I see the name there. I'll say, oh, yeah, I talked to some people from that company. They're very cool. Yeah. <laughs> so what are some of the um, – I know there's a lot involved in running airports. What are the, the top two or three issues – that you guys are working on that are most important to you? Well, basically, you have to keep uh, keep uh, business going, keep operations open, maintain functionality and regularity to enable aircraft to land and take off and passengers to flow through the airports uh, and our airspace. Um, but we also mm-hmm. do a lot of work on reducing carbon emissions, and, uh, and uh, we also have some other interesting projects. Yeah, yeah I've heard um, jets. Uh, produce um, a, a disproportionate amount of carbon emissions. So, you know, is that true? And can you compare what a jet will produce uh, to a car, maybe at various stages, you know, when it's taking off, what does it put out, when it's in flight, and then when it's landing? Yeah, sure. Um, it's uh, sort of comparing apples and uh, bananas, uh, comparing an aircraft and a subway or a, or a car. Basically, on the Emissions per passenger kilometer is uh, is not so much higher uh, for an aircraft compared with a with a car, but it all depends on how many people are on board, both the car and the mm. and the and the aircraft. Uh, and I guess the, the the main difference is that you you wouldn't fly an aircraft to to the to the bakers or to the to the pub next door, but you would perhaps take your your car. And the aircraft are designed to take you far. Uh, with a huge amount of well, pretty quick. Uh, so you you will not drive your car from from where you're at in California to 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 Oslo, but you could easily fly here. And that's sort of the main main difference is that uh, aviation enables us to travel far uh, quickly, and that is also producing okay. uh, that is quite en- energy intensive, and it's also producing uh, quite a lot of emissions. Hmm. And I guess uh, on a global scale. Aviation accounts for approximately two percent of uh, the car- uh, the CO2 emissions. Yes, that's correct. About 800 uh, gigatons of uh, of CO2. So um, uh, that's pretty much the same emission, same amount of emissions as uh, as Germany. Uh, that the, all, oh. all the emissions from, from from Germany per year. So what's your goal? Is your goal to just become more efficient and to reduce the carbon footprint of all the airports, or are you also looking for technologies that will fundamentally change? Uh, the emissions generated by aircraft, you know, uh, maybe you reduce or eliminate them. Yeah, 
Um, well, Avinor is a is a state-owned uh, company, uh, so we do all the infrastructure for uh, for air travel in uh, in Norway. And uh, our task given to us by uh, by the government is to uh, provide all the inhabitants in this uh, long, uh, sunny kingdom of ours with um, with adequate um, air travel services. Uh, so we are actually uh, tasked by the government to uh, to uh, to make people or to enable people to fly, while at the same time we're also tasked by the government, uh, which is uh, our owner, uh, to reduce the carbon emissions both from our own operations but uh, also from uh, from air travel itself. So literally from uh, from aircraft and uh, and airlines. So what do you guys see as the best opportunities to do that? What's the juiciest low-hanging fruit that you want to tackle to uh, reduce emissions? Well, um, emissions from our own operations is really, really small uh, in the in the big pictures. We do snow removal in winter, which is basically six to eight months a year. Uh, that requires quite a lot of um, diesel for, for, our, for our vehicles. Uh, we obviously use quite a lot of energy in our terminal buildings, etc. So we can also reduce uh, the, the energy consumption in our in our terminals, uh, but uh, to really sort of uh, attack the uh, elephant in the room or the elephant in the runway, we have to do something with the emissions from the uh, from the air uh, from the aircraft. And I think we can say it's basically like three main uh, areas of interest. So uh, the first is to reduce uh, energy consumption uh, in the aircraft itself, and uh, the airlines and the aircraft producers are doing a great job on that. But then we should also we also have to do something with the fuel, uh, reduce the amounts of uh, fossil fuel that's being used, and uh, there is already technologies available in terms of uh, sustainable biofuels for uh, for uh, for aircraft. And uh, over the last two, three, four years, uh, actually electrification of, of aviation is also getting pretty high on the uh, on the agenda uh, as a viable solution to to reduce emissions from uh, from our industry and i know that you know your airports never have any delays wink wink but uh how much do delays and idle time contribute to um the amount of fuel used and the uh, emissions well um but without having an exact number i think uh, there's there's a quite uh, large amount of fuel that's wasted either when when aircrafts are in holding patterns above an air airfield and you know they're just in line to land you probably been out traveling and the and the pilot says well we have to just circle around here for a while before we are able to land so that that's certainly a waste of fuel and and of course your time as well um taxiing from uh, from the gate or from uh, from where the passengers get on board to the end of the runway to take off can can be quite uh, fuel consuming as well and and as if the traffic patterns on the ground and in the air are not planned correctly, of course that that all contributes to waste. So, so there are a host of technologies uh, not related to uh, what sort of fuel you have, or but uh, basically to optimize the traffic flows on the ground and in the air that are being employed. I know both in the in the U.S. Uh, the FAA is doing a lot of work, and here in Norway and in Europe there's a lot of work going on to to sort of enable the the most efficient and uh, f- most efficient traffic flow without any interruptions to to basically minimize that f- 
fuel that uh, that goes to waste. And you mentioned um, <clears throat> the electrification. Is it possible, you think, for a, a plane to fly with um, no fuel but just a huge reserve of uh, electric power or battery power? Yes, it is. Uh, a very good question, by the way. We, we got We've been involved in uh, electrification of, uh, of uh, aviation aircraft for a couple of years now, and we already bought our first electric aircraft, a small two-seater um, that has a range of about uh, 130 kilometers, so that's 55, 60 nautical miles. Um, it, uh, we've been flying it all summer, um, no hiccups, no, uh, no issues, uh, really a beautiful plane. There are several of uh, well, aircraft producers looking into electrification, both of what we call fixed wing, which is like what a regular plane, but also uh, uh, what is termed EV tolls, uh, electric vertical takeoff and landing aircraft or passenger drones. Uh, which is getting pretty big as uh, as well, so it's it's definitely possible. And uh, from uh, what we learn from uh, from from the producers, it will probably not be the technology that will stop this development. It will it will be other regulatory or political uh, issues that could uh, either uh, halt or or uh, or delay the the, the development mm. of uh, of electric aircraft. So so yes, definitely possible and. And as I mentioned, we operate 45 airports in Norway, which is quite particular. Um, uh, many of these airports are really close to each other uh, as the crow flies, because we have all these mountains and fjords in uh, in, uh, in Norway. So uh, a flight could be perhaps 10 minutes, but you'll spend hours driving to the bottom of fjord across the mountain and then over to the to the to the city or uh, you're uh, going to. So. So definitely in Norway, uh, we think that this is a huge, uh, huge opportunity for our, uh, our domestic traffic in the next decade. Hmm. Um, what would it look like? You know, you mentioned you have a two-seater uh, electric plane, but what would a 200-seater uh, electric plane look like? Would it need a fuel backup, or you know, would it need to carry so much batteries? that the weight would be tremendous and make it inefficient, or is it, uh, would it work just like a smaller plane? Yeah, well, 200-seater, uh, that's, that's a big electric uh, or electrified aircraft. The, the main hurdle today is uh, energy per kilo of, um, of battery. So uh, we think that in the near time, uh, we will see short, uh, uh, well, uh, small electric aircraft with short range. Most of the aircraft producers today who are looking into this are producing uh, or are, are uh, looking at concepts which involves some kind of range extenders. They would be like hybrid aircraft. They will have electric motors and a battery, but with the possibility to charge the batteries uh, when you're flying, either by a turbo generator uh, or by a fuel cell. So that will uh, oh, extend wow. the range of the aircraft uh, significantly. There are a couple of uh, very interesting American uh, projects, uh, and, and and also so and also Airbus, uh, the main European aircraft producer, is uh, is looking uh, looking into this. All the uh, engine, uh, what will usually uh, the, the the traditional jet engine producers are, are looking into electric motors. Uh, so there's uh, there's a lot of stuff going on in terms of research and uh, development in this mm -hmm. field, 
And what is basically driving this is, uh, well, carbon emissions is one thing, which is fine, uh, but also it's the economy uh, of these new technologies, the maintenance tech, uh, costs of, uh, of electric motors is, is smaller than for traditional jet turbines, and also the fuel cost uh, will be a lot uh, less. Uh, electricity is basically a lot cheaper than uh, jet kerosene. Yeah, that's great. So it probably will happen first in places like Norway, where you said you have like 10-minute flights, and then it may spread to commuter flights, you know, 30 minutes, let's say, between you know, uh, New York and uh, Washington, D.C. or something, or Dallas and exactly. Houston, and then maybe eventually it'll be longer flights. Yep. In fact, there is an American aircraft producer called Zunum Aero, based in the uh, Pacific Northwest in the, in the Seattle area. They are backed by Boeing and the JetBlue, and they already got their first order of 100 aircraft from a, uh, a small airline in um, California called JetSuit, JetSuite, JetSuit. They're doing some kind of um, uh, charter business kind of uh, type of flights. That is, um, they are uh, utilizing all the landing strips and small runways that are not traditionally used by uh, by the bigger airlines. So they have a niche niche there for flying people between the cities in California and and uh, and and also to some other places. So that's uh, that's very very promising from uh, from uh, from our point of view. Yeah, definitely. Um, any chance for solar to work with planes because they fly higher up? I don't know. Is it, you know, the sun's uh, energy stronger wow. up there, or you mentioned biofuels. Any other initiatives? Solar is obviously an option, but they are not. The, uh, they cannot provide too much enough output now for for like big heavy aircraft. But there are glider aircraft uh, that are flying partly on solar uh, power, and some very very interesting, also high altitude uh, glider mm. uh, aircraft uh, and, and and projects uh, going on mm. both in Europe and in the and in the U.S. A little bit of a sidetrack, perhaps, but <clears throat> these, uh, there, there are some concepts which are somewhere uh, between a, a small satellite and a drone. So you have gliders which are able to stay aloft at maybe uh, 10,000 feet. Um, well, no, more than that. I think 80,000 yeah, feet. Yeah, yeah 80,000 feet uh, height for several months, and they can... Be up there doing uh, um, doing remote sensing uh, and so on, which which can of course uh, help uh, for a lot of uh, different sectors and uses. I have a question, kind of out of left field, but it just occurred to me. Um, you talked about uh, you know a drone. How come they don't have um, capability for um, for people to fly a plane, for, you know, sitting on the ground? Like let's say. Um, a pilot or a co-pilot have a problem, they become incapacitated or something else goes wrong. I know there's automatic pilot, but why not have another backup system where someone on the ground can take over if needed or authorized and fly the plane just as if they were up there? That's actually a very good question. Uh, and um, I think one of the one of the main uh, hurdles there is that it's basically has to do with communication and uh, and bandwidth and whatever. Uh, capabilities that uh, that you might might or might not have w w when you're flying a around the world uh, you know if you're communicating traditionally with um, with uh, with something very far away it's either via satellite or and so on and that sort of 
communication link has traditionally not been able to handle uh, huge bandwidths. Uh, yeah, doesn't have huge bandwidths and can handle a lot of data. I think that might be one of the explanations, but but I think it's a good question and might be something that uh, that uh, may may be a possibility in the future as as of course uh, autonomous vehicles and so on will also change perhaps the public perception of uh, of uh, flying autonomously uh, we all know that planes today they can you know they can basically take off and land and fly without a pilot doing doing much but there's still um, this sort of perception that uh, we need a pilot up there and without a human watching the system and being able to take control in case of emergencies we are putting ourselves at risk but maybe with uh, autonomous vehicles um, gaining a foothold in society uh, with humans uh, seeing that there might be actually some safety benefits uh, and you should also keep in mind that aviation is an extremely uh, risk adverse business uh, there's a lot of regulation uh, in uh, in in our in our business and uh, it's it's definitely technologically possible to uh, to remotely operate an, an an aircraft and and the first fully automated flight uh, between the US and, uh, and and Europe actually took place 70 years ago in an American uh, army uh, aircraft mm. Um, so, so that's uh, that's a long time ago, and uh, you know as well as we do that your armed forces uh, have a lot of um, uh, sort of drone capabilities that are piloted right. from uh, from the ground. Uh, so, so technologically it's possible, and you won't have too many pedestrians or bicycles or football players up in the air. So, uh, so it should also be easy to sort of uh, handle, but it's uh, it's uh, it's it's regulations. Uh, it's uh, risk calculations, and uh, uh, but I think that uh, in the within two or three, four decades, we'll definitely see fully autonomous passenger flights as well. Very cool. Um, what else in the area of AI and automation is going to are people going to experience as it relates to flight? Well, uh, one of the things uh, we mentioned already it's uh, autonomous uh, autonomous aircraft. I think that's one of the one of the areas where we'll see uh, a, a staged progression in the field. I think we'll probably see uh, freighter uh, aircraft uh, employ the uh, autonomous capabilities first. Um, but the public perception will sort of have to shift a little bit before that can be they can be used for passenger aircraft. Otherwise, on the ground, there's uh, I don't know if you've uh, if you've been on an aircraft sitting on the tarmac. And boarded early, you might see a lot of vehicles moving around the aircraft. You know, they might be taking luggage uh, to and from the hold, uh, bringing bringing your airplane food uh, to the to the aircraft, and so on. And all of that all of that contributes, of course, to both uh, both uh, CO2 emissions, and that can be that can be improved by electrifying uh, whatever you have uh, uh, concerning ground equipment and vehicles. But also autonomous uh, capabilities will enter enter in that field as well. So you might uh, you might envision a system that uh, an aircraft automatically sends uh, information to to the ground uh, concerning what needs to be done to that aircraft. Does it need a check? Does it need a checkup? Does it um, 
require uh, 300 liters of fresh water? Uh, does it need uh, what sort of food it needs and, and so on? How much luggage it has uh, exactly on board? And, and you could envision a fleet of autonomous vehicles just coming up and taking care of that. Uh, small robots uh, and autonomous vehicles can do all that perhaps more timely uh, and more coordinated without without putting humans at risk uh, and uh, and do that more efficiently in the future as well and we are we're working on a very interesting project here with autonomous snow removal uh, we have uh, a fleet now uh, of uh, autonomous uh, snow removal vehicles uh, so they've been tested for a couple of winters and uh, this upcoming winter we'll test them uh, at Oslo Airport, actually, uh, not uh, fully by themselves, but they will sort of be part of the, what we call the snow removal train, which is basically like 12 or 16 snow removal vehicles driving in uh, more or less procession to remove the snow from uh, from uh, from the, the runway. So you can sort of link these vehicles uh, together, so you could have sort of a leading car, perhaps in the beginning, with uh, with a human uh, expert, a, a driver, and the uh, the other vehicles following it. And and uh, an airport is a very well controlled area. It's fenced in, uh, quite well defined where the runway is, where the where the tarmac is, where you should uh, dump all the snow you're removing, etc. So. So we are we are looking at this as a very promising uh, technology for our 45 uh, uh, airports, and will enable us to um, uh, to uh, provide a better service for uh, for the airlines and uh, and the passengers. Yeah, it seems like air traffic control could definitely do with a lot of uh, automation. You know, like for instance, if I have uh, you know 50 50 planes approaching my airport, and I can mm. calculate forward the trajectory and the speed and all that, I can tell one of them or three of them, hey, delay by, um, you know, throttle back 1%, so then they'll get to the airport just behind these other ones that are coming in. And I should be able to, from the ground, um, help optimize the fuel usage of all the airplanes so there's no delays upon approach, you know, so they can just land smoothly or take off. Certainly, and that's that's exactly uh, some of the goals of the, uh, a few, a couple of huge projects, one going on in, in the U.S., uh, coordinated by FAA, it's called NextGen, and uh, one going on in, in Europe called uh, Single European Sky ATM Research. Uh, ATM stands for Air Traffic Management, and they're looking into exactly the sort of thing that you mentioned, to, to have more uh, computing power, more uh, data available, so that uh, humans can efficiently handle more uh, aircraft and, uh, and, and, of course, safely as well. Uh, because that's one of the things uh, we have an issue with both in Europe and, and in the U.S. that actually uh, we have cap we have capacity uh, at airports, uh, bar a few very constrained airports, uh, big airports. Uh, but actually, it's up in the air and around the airports up in the air where you have capacity constraints, and that's mostly related to uh, the mode of operations we have, uh, the, the air traffic controllers have, and their limits as. Uh, human beings watching uh, a system, and you know, to able to be able to handle a number of parameters uh, safely. So, so that those capabilities will certainly increase in the coming years, and and uh, there's a lot of work going on in uh, in that sector. But as Olaf mentioned, it's uh, it's a risk adverse uh, sector, and uh, there are very careful uh, 
to test and to retest and to you know uh, really um, check everything, check all the boxes and so on before these sort of systems are allowed to operate. So what we know uh, has been working uh, will work until sort of the new thing has the, has developed so far that uh, you basically um, cannot cannot live without it. Yeah, it makes sense. Um, are you able to? I don't, you know, if you can't, it's okay. But um, because you have literally like the the eye in the sky view of all these airports and all this travel, what do you know or see that uh, the public doesn't know or see? Anything interesting or curious that you know? Mm. <laughs> well, many interesting things coming up. I think. I think uh, just adapting to a changing climate, a change of uh, jet streams, uh, mm. adverse weather. Um, will be uh, interesting for our industry as well, um, and also just the interaction, so to speak, between the the passenger and and technology. How can we improve the the technology passenger interaction going through security control, mm. doing whatever you have to do at an airport before you enter uh, board the plane. Uh, likewise, the technology between uh, and, and information sharing between uh, air traffic control, airports, aircraft, different aircraft in the air, mm. etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, so I think there is there are huge opportunities uh, coming up for making a safer, more reliable, and more cost-efficient uh, uh, aviation system in the uh, in the world. Yeah, I think one of the things uh, that sort of uh, impressed me when I first uh, got into this sector uh, is how much actually is going on behind the scenes, just so that uh, passengers can uh, can breathe through the airport and you know uh, get from one place to another on time. It's uh, it's an um, immense uh, set of actors and technologies that are, that have to work together, and that to me is quite quite amazing already and and to see that that is just going to evolve further and further in the future it's uh, i think it's going to be exciting uh, of course this this is all uh, made possible by the fact that uh, you know humans we, we we do have a need to travel from one place to another and once you have had the capability to to fly across continents in in a short while you you're not going to go back in any way you just have to find ways to do it in a way that doesn't harm the planet and uh, our environment uh, so much. No, oh, very good. So what's the best way for um, people to get in touch if they have questions or if they want to collaborate? You know, how should they reach out? Um, I guess there are some contact points at our website, avinor.no, avinor.no. Um, uh, so get in touch with our communications people uh, or our contact details there and uh, they will distribute uh, requests and, and 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 questions to um, to uh, to us and and probably some of our colleagues. I guess that's uh, probably the best way to get in touch with us. Okay, that's great. Well, uh, Mohammed Olaf, I I really appreciate you guys coming, and it's really cool to talk to uh, people on the inside and uh, see what's going on with all the airports and planes. So thank you for coming. I appreciate it. Well, thank fine. you. Thank you for having us. You have been listening to Almost Here, Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, post to review, to discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more.